Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Money FM 89.3. You're with Primetime and I'm Bharati Jagdish. Now, we're well known for our world-class education standards, right, here in Singapore. But we also are well known for our love affair with private tuition. It's ballooned to a billion-dollar industry in the past decade. Now, based on the household expenditure survey conducted by the Statistics Department from October 2017 to September 2018, Get this. Households spent 1.4 billion Singapore dollars in total on tuition. This sum has grown steadily over the years, climbing from $650 million around 15 years ago to $1.1 billion in 2012-2013. Today, we're going to be talking with a young female entrepreneur who switched from the public relations industry to becoming the owner of a seven-chain creative writing tuition center here. She's Nicolette Ng, co-founder of WriteEdge. It's known as the Creative Writing Teaching Specialist Agency. Thanks, Nicolette, for joining us today. Hi, Bharati. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm so honoured to be here and to be chatting with a veteran of the media industry. And I've uh, listened and watched you in many interviews. Well, I'm so, so glad. thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad. It's nice receiving a compliment live on air from a listener as well as a guest. Well deserved. <laughs> Nicolette, yeah. before we talk about the dark side of tuition, let's talk about mm. the not-so-dark side. <laughs> and I'd like to know your personal story as a start. You mm. were in PR. You came from a Mandarin-speaking family, no prior teaching experience. What made mm. you want to go into private tuition? All that money, right? That's what it is, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, you know. Um, in fact, in the early years, you know, really was hard, the money. So um, I was uh, in a big company in the PR and actually on a sizable client portfolio. And it was a fantastic learning experience for me. But a couple of months in, you know, um, I just wasn't sure if I would enjoy the work long term. And it made me rethink what I thought was a dream career for me. Um, so th- that was like the push factor. And the pull factor was that I had a skill in teaching. I had been teaching in an enrichment school. Um, I graduated from NTU in English Lit and I had enjoyed teaching children since university days. So, yeah, there were some push and pull factors. Yeah, I'd like Mm -hmm. to talk a bit more about the push factor, if you don't mind. What was it that made you think, you know what, this isn't for me? Oh, you're putting me in between a uh, (laughs) a difficult place. Okay, Okay, you don't don't have to reveal people's names and and things like that. But yeah, just give us an idea of what it really was. Yeah, I think... um, the reality of working in an agency, public relations agency, is that it's very long hours, number one. And um, when I watch my manager and her neck deep in the work and, you know, uh, the clients of, you know, um, always calling and you're really at the client's demand. So I've, I felt that um, I w- wasn't really sure if this was for me and the environment as well. I, I think the work culture was not something that I had envisioned. So I just took a break and, you know, to see maybe where I would end up. And um, so here I am. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's different where you are now in the private tutoring industry, but I'm sure there are similarities also. And there's a reason I asked you that question about the push factor 
uh, in PR. Yeah. You said it's all these demands from the clients, right? To what extent yeah. do you find that now your clients, mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. say they are the parents as well as the children, are mm-hmm. also quite demanding? Mm-hmm. You are you're right, you know, especially in today's um, day and age, parents are very discerning. They don't, right? They don't just choose a school based on results. Like I Google the best school in Singapore, but there are so many other factors, like what kind of enrichment and tuition, do I have time, do I have the resources, my convenience, the philosophy of the school, the curriculum and the teacher. So the moment they make a decision to commit to you, you know, it, it is a big decision, right? Because the quantum fee is also big, they commit for three months. Um, and this investment, then um, then because of that, then they do have certain expectations. Uh, I, I, however, do find a difference with, um, I feel, working with a client in agencies that many of the parents I've met, to be honest, they are extremely reasonable. They are all, all we care about really is the child's progress and the learning, as well as if they are enjoying the lesson. So a lot of times, um, it go, the conversations are around how can we really support each other, right, and work together hand in hand to help their child have the best learning environment. So I find that, honestly, uh, is easier to deal with. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it's just a natural attitude for me, yeah. Yeah, sure. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to know a little bit more about your journey. I understand you borrowed just $8,000 from your parents and you started this hole-in-the-wall private tuition centre <laughs> at an HDB block. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about how your parents reacted to all of this. Hole-in-the-wall is an accurate description, really, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I could maximum fit like five students and a teacher. It was very unpretentious and a corner. So there were some really unforgettable memories of, you know, right edge then. Um, but um, my parents were absolutely supportive um, and they had been my greatest supporter. In fact, my mother was the one who encouraged me to do so. Um, I think, you know, first of all, I was starting to disrupt their daily routines, teaching classes at home, right? We're in a four-room HDB. I was always in the living room and saying, you guys stay in your room. Don't come out. I have students today. Mm. And uh, she also always had this entrepreneurial spirit in her. Um, my father also ran his own business as a vegetable store owner. So I, I guess it was not something completely new for them. But I'm always grateful. And I feel like without them, uh, I would not have been able to so freely pursue um, what I wanted to do with Red Edge. Yeah. I'm sure there was a learning curve for you because I know that a lot of private tutors are former teachers, they're former MOE teachers, and they've been trained a certain way to be able to teach children of certain ages. What was the learning curve like for you? You were not a teacher to begin with. Yeah, you're right. Um, and you know, when you said earlier that, um, did I come in for the money? My advice <laughs> to anyone wanting to come in for the money is don't come in, okay? Because um, in the early years, it's very daunting and very difficult. There's lots of learning and you're going to make mistakes. So um, um, I'm a firm believer of hard work and having grit and uh, not to give up. And I think that in the journey as um, teachers, I've been very lucky in that I have discovered an, an aptitude in curriculum and teaching and the ability to sort of break down big learning concepts into something bite-sized for the students um, and also sort of being able to engage um, and build rapport with the parents and students quite naturally. So really it boils down to the foundational things, being trustworthy, being reliable and being very passionate about your craft uh, goes a long way. And of course, at the end of the day, the results will show for yourself, right? And um, mm. yeah, and like any profession, building credibility 
and trust takes time. But um, that's not to say I haven't had, you know, my fair share of people slighting me. I remember when I opened my second outlet, parents would look at me from top to toe, analyze me for like a couple of seconds and said, you know, why why do you think I should send my child to your center? Oh, so, um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, I, think, I think my partner and I, Eileen, um, we always took in our stride. And um, yeah, so I think um, it's important to um, work hard and to put your head down to make sure that you really deliver what the parents are asking for. Mm. Mm. I guess it is quite natural and it is to be expected that they would be demanding because they have so many other tuition centres to choose from, right? Options paralysis sometimes. Mm. So Mm. here's the thing. How do you feel about the types of demands that they make? I mean, we've heard so much about how parents make demands of teachers in school. Mm. The sorts of demands that they make of private tutors. Mm. What's your thinking about that? I think, um, you know, from my experience, I think there is a small group of parents who are sometimes, you know, very demanding and unreasonable. And as part of our work, we have, it's just part of, you know, our work and we have to deal with that. And how we do that is to make sure that uh, we communicate as clearly as we want. And if it gets extremely unreasonable, then usually it's escalated up to the managers and all that. But actually, um, I would say most of the parents, you know, they have encountered and taught over the years, they are very understanding um, and, you know, they... Uh, again, it's back to that so long as they see that the centre and the school really cares for their children and wants the best for their children, uh, which I believe that this is what we do, I, I think that they're a lot more understanding. It is when you are too, um, you know, calculative about everything, right, from the money to, you know, the timing, the amount of time you give to the children, that, that, that's when they get upset, right? Mm. Because it's not a transactional for them. For them, they're putting their children in an environment for, you know, um, months and hours with you and trusting that the educators in your centre is going to impart not only uh, the skills necessary for exams, but good values that they are in a good, positive, nurturing learning environment. So I think it's really important to understand that. Yeah, mm, But they too need to do their part to nurture their children, of course, as long as they recognise that. <laughs> that is not just the yes. teachers or the tutors' responsibility to do that. Talk to us yes. more about your biggest challenges in the last few years. Um, I think every stage has its challenges, but let me just talk about COVID because that was really something right mm. um, I think um, it, it, it was hard because um, overnight they gave the announcement in March 2020 and then we all had to move online for three months. So imagine parents had paid and the question was, do we refund them? What do we do about it, right? And then uh, we got together on a call and I remember it was like 8 p.m. Uh, Prime Minister Lee Sin Long had just made the announcement and um, one of my managers had spoken up and said, Nick, we can't hold on to all the money. We have to refund at least two lessons because these parents are also panicking. So we can't just, you know, collect their money and decide that we'll move forward, right? So even though, obviously, as a business, the cash flow was a concern to me, I agreed. And so what we did was, and the, the, one of the first things that we did was that we called every parent and we funded, you know, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars back to them and say, take these two weeks to settle down. And then for this, the next two weeks, then we worked very hard on our online program. So I'm really proud of the team. You know, um, it, it was things like creating the amount of Zoom links and Google Classrooms. You know, you have to create 200 plus of them. You have to really create assignments on the Google Classroom and online portal. You have to mail up thousands of worksheets. So um, it was a lot of hard work for the team. So I credit it to really the amazing team that we have. Yeah. 
Right. It sounds like a very inspiring story. I'm so glad that your team was able to get together on this. What does it take to manage a team like this? Because, you know, if you do it yourself, if you're a private tutor, that's one thing. But when you have to groom others to be the same and to also have all of these other qualities that help them overcome challenges, what does all of that involve really from you? Mm-hmm. Um, this is from my experience and my point of view. Uh, but to me, uh, the role of founders, you have to be the custodian of the culture. Um, because, you know, you, you're not going to be the best at a lot of the skills. Many founders, you know, you're driven, you come with a passion, you sort of know how to set things up. But, you know, as the business grows, you're not going to be the best person for every role. So be a strong custodian of the culture. Figure out how to put together a great team. Put them in the right positions. Set a very clear vision. And then on your part, keep thinking about ways to make the company a great place to work. Because um, as we grow, the challenges that we face are going to be more complex. Uh, It's going to be interdependent across different departments. It's not going to be solved by one individual, no matter how how competent you are. Yeah, Nicolette, earlier you mentioned that you have a sense of grit that you really do cherish. Where do you think you get it from? I'm, I'm the eldest at home, so I think that, that helps. Uh, <laughs> okay. And my parents were really busy at work um, growing up. Um, I always felt their love and their absence too. So I think that just sort of um, made me much more independent. Yeah. I'd like to talk for a moment about the dark side of tuition. I'm sure you know that in China, mm-hmm. there was a crackdown on tech platforms and tutoring in general last year, aimed at reducing pressure in this very mm-hmm. hyper-competitive arena. Here in Singapore, our love affair with private tuition has also sparked debate on what is the best age to start private tuition? Do we really need private tuition considering that our education system is pretty good? Uh, mm-hmm. Why are people taking up classes when they're already doing well in school? Are you propagating mm-hmm. the culture of over-competitiveness? What do you have to mm-hmm. say to that, Nicolette? Mm, thanks. Um, you know, this, uh, I appreciate the tough questions and, you know, nothing that I didn't expect coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah. yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, I always tell the team that um, sometimes, you know, tuition and, and enrichment, we, we do sort of, um, you know, perpetuate inequality in some ways, right? Because those who can afford it will pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. And the irony is not, not lost on me. We're trying to help children, but then yet at the same time, we are perpetuate, perpetuating inequality. So that's my first sort of thought. And um, when it comes to private tuition, um, I think that the mindset that parents have, and, and it's the whole also national agenda and policy, um, it all revolves around, you know, being, being the best. And um, I think um, it's going to take a revolution, you know, for lack of a better word, when I was in NIE, my prof said this, that it's going to take a revolution for us to not want enrichment and tuition. That said, um, and again, I mentioned in today's day and age, parents are much more discerning. They don't just, um, you know, just throw you in and then I just want results. They consider, you know, the trade-offs that they have to make, you know, for the time they spend on each of these different enrichments. Um, and um, as a team, we, we let the parents know, ultimately, we want you to make the best choice for your children. But when, you know, when is the best age to start tuition and is it important? Um, for me, um, language foundations are important in a child's journey. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to send it to a school, right? There are many ways to do it, you know, take library trips, you know. And my mom did very well in that. She said you could only spend things, spend money on two things, 
food and then also books, right? So there are many ways to build a literacy environment, but I would say that uh, building language foundations um, generally is important in a child's journey, yeah. Now, Nicolette, you acknowledged earlier that the private tuition industry does perpetuate inequalities. What are you doing to make it more accessible to the children who perhaps need the extra help, but whose parents cannot afford private tuition? Mm, yeah, so I think um, while we cannot change the whole, um, we might not be able to change the entire industry and mindsets of parents, I think what we can do, you know, as I always tell my team in our part, is that we can use the resources that we have to help um, children that, you know, that we find ways to help. So one of the things we have done is we have partnered up with the Salvation Army in the prison services. So we work with children whose parents are incarcerated and they send them, we basically, um, you know, take care of their transport money and we give them all the materials and we give them everything they need to attend our classes. But our criteria is that they have to be younger learners, that means P1 to P3, so that um, our goal of taking them through the whole journey to P6 and making sure that the literacy environment for them it really has an impact, right? Because if you come for just one term and you go back home, uh, we're not going to really make a dent, you know? So I think um, that's what we've been doing. So in our empty slots, we actually feed in some of these children. We've been so grateful for the workers, you know, mm. some of the care workers. We work with them directly um, because sometimes it's hard even for them to come for tuition. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a vicious circle for them, you know? You've got financial issues and then on top of it, your kids might need the extra help that you're not able to give, you're not able to afford as well. So any help, I'm sure, is greatly appreciated. One last mm-hmm. thing, Nicolette. I understand mm. you've been collaborating with the Straits Times for their English Masterclass. Uh, tell us more about these. Yeah, we've been doing it since 2017. So this is suitable for parents who are looking for one-off workshops. We tailor it for PSLE O-level students. So during COVID, actually, we did like a free PSLE workshop that had, you know, an average viewership of almost 4,000 students coming. So not just um, with Straits Times, part of our work is also reaching out to schools, right? We do several school workshops over the year. And um, yeah, what we do is um, really to um, reach out to the masses. And honestly, in these workshops, our goal is not uh, profit and our what we do in this is really outreach to the community and to reach as many students that as we can. Um, and that's one of our missions as well, you know, really to make the mastery of English possible for as many children as possible around the world. Mm. All right. Thank you very much for that, Nicolette. Nicolette Ng, co-founder of Right Edge. Great having you on the show, Nicolette. It's always nice Thank to you. connect with a fan and a wonderful mm. guest as well. <laughs> you take care. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.